Welcome to She's a DPM, a platform for women to share their experiences, knowledge, and insights on cultivating a life in and outside the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. Welcome back, everybody, to She's a DPM. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Oxman, and today's special guest is Dr. Emily Splickle. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to have you on. I know you're very entrepreneur. You should like have a lot of um, uh, businesses, but also a very um, niche uh, part of podiatry, foot and ankle treatment, and lower limb body, uh, really everything, and being a human movement specialist. And I follow you on Instagram, I follow you on your social medias, and it's all like just so interesting to me. And it's just very cool to see a different aspect to our field that. I don't know a lot about, and I don't think a lot of our listeners may know a lot about. But before we dive into it, you want to tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a podiatrist, you know that. <laughs> but I actually, DPM. I know I'm a DPM, yes. Um, I consider myself a functional podiatrist, which is, I feel like you'll hear that more and more as the concept of functional medicine has increased in the medical space that people understand what that word functional means. Um, but I do practice as a functional podiatrist, as a human movement specialist. Uh, I graduated 2008 from NYCPM, was trained in surgery, did surgery for five years. And then five years ago, roughly, I decided to put down the scalpel for the last time and had shifted into direct care. This is before I knew that that's what it was called. Um, <laughs> I just knew that I needed the full hour and freedom to see a patient the way that I do. And I did at that time, which is very much based on doing full movement assessments, gait assessments. Um, I spend a very long time educating and explaining everything so that my patients take ownership of whatever condition it is that they're seeing me for. Uh, and then in addition to that, I have a education company. So I've traveled all around the world teaching about feet and barefoot science. I've been to over 30 countries teaching about foot health and feet. Um, so I love that my passport is super thick. Um, <laughs> and then in addition to that, I launched Naboso five years ago, which is a proprioceptive product line. So actually it's mechanoceptive, but a sensory based product line to stimulate the nerves in the bottom of the feet. And a lot of our products, including socks, insoles, release tools, mats, et cetera, are used in podiatry but very much in the neuro rehab space. So neuropathy, stroke, MS, Parkinson's, um, a large part of my practice is movement disorders. So I will use the Naboso products and this functional approach with my patients and then teach other people how to do it with their patients. But yeah, you are doing so much. And also I, but I didn't know they were really into the neuro rehab as well with the Naboso. And so it's just such a, a interesting pathway in podiatry as well and I know you kind of touched on like that that probably it that passion was always there but maybe within the first, last five years that you really dove into it um and kind of tailoring your practice around that so can you like touch on like what what sparked your interest in functional medicine like or go a little deeper into it yeah actually the shaping of my career really happened when 
towards the latter part of podiatry school. And for anyone who is in my class at NYCPM probably knows that I was very much into fitness. I've been in fitness for over 20 years as a personal trainer and then educator to fitness professionals. So I came in with this deep appreciation for movement and I was an athlete, I was a gymnast for 13 years, but to have this appreciation for movement and then going through podiatry school and learning about the foot kind of quite isolated where there was no conversation of, oh, your feet connect to your core muscles or your abdominals and glute function is really dictated by lumbopelvic hip stability, which is influenced by foot position, right? Like that, that wasn't heavy emphasized in podiatry school. So I felt like as I started residency there, it was just deep into my bones, not sitting with why I went to podiatry school. And I was like, I'm so unhappy. This is not why I spent a quarter million dollars <laughs> to go to school was to not be able to use it in the way that is what I know is true to me. Um, so after my first year of residency at Beth Israel in New York, I actually quit, left, stepped away, and then went back to school and got my master's in human movement. And, and I got it from AT Still, which is here in Arizona, where I live now. After the two years human movement, something just connected and I don't know, like a spark lit up in me, which all this sounds cheesy, but I don't know, go with it. So then I went back to residency, you know, learned to do surgery, was trained as a surgeon. As I said, I did surgery for five years, um, was very lucrative, especially at that point. Um, now insurances have changed somewhat, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, still I was like, I'm not passionate about the surgery. There's this movement piece. So from day one of graduating residency, getting licensed, I tried to start to integrate it and do these assessments in the office and, you know, do a gait assessment on every patient. I'd have to do it really quickly because insurance made you see those patients quickly. Um, but I would try to weave it in as much as I could, started getting referrals and building my name in New York City as this integrative approach. This podiatrist is not going to tell your patients you need orthotics and supportive shoes or surgery. And it's the same thing, every single person you go to. Um, so I started to really create that approach and identity within the industry or my career. And then that's when I decided to leave. It was very scary to leave insurance and to leave surgery and create this own unique direct care approach. Um, and, you know, now I continue that and I teach other people how to do it. So um, very convoluted path that is very scary. And I potentially burned certain bridges. So I don't recommend it <laughs> necessarily is the way to go. But, you know, I, I do think that the approach in podiatry or professionally has to resonate to truly who you are and what you believe in versus feeling unsatisfied and like, okay, every page, oh, here's another plantar fasciitis patient, like, you know, something like that to find a curiosity and an excitement in every single patient, even if it's 10 patients a day of plantar fasciitis. What a great outlook on that as well. And that's, I find that so true too, because, you know, before I found my niche, like I do love um, what I do, but I found that passion through more of like the nerve pathology aspect as well and now like it's 
exciting every time I have that. So I can totally uh, resonate with that feeling. And while you're, yeah, you have a very, your, your traditional path of going for school to residency is a little different, but it kind of brought you to exactly, I love hearing stories where it brings you exactly where you're supposed to, to be mm-hmm. and being able to use your unique skills yep. um, as well to, to better serve your patients. With your master's in hu- human movement, um, that was like two years long, you said, did that really, did they dive, I'm guessing uh, with the name, a lot more on to the biomechanical aspect? They did. Now, what's interesting is that when I went to get my master's in human movement, it was the exact same time that the barefoot running boom happened. So this is the stars were aligning for Dr. Splickle's career or something, because it was really kind of that timing, especially in the fitness, because I was starting to teach on the education conference circuit, the fitness education. And people were starting to get really curious and other educators in the fitness space were talking about shoes, minimal shoes and barefoot running and these things. And I was like, if anyone should be talking about the shoes and feet and barefoot within the fitness industry, by God, it should be a podiatrist, right? Like to to have that. And I was a personal trainer at that time for 10 years. So I was like, I've been a trainer for 10 years. I have the certifications of a trainer that just credentializes me in that industry. And then I have this unique approach from going to podiatry school, right? And I really tried to leverage that. So when I got my master's, I focused on barefoot science and all of the research articles and the lit reviews that I would have to do, I would choose to do them on barefoot science, surface science, um, insole science. So this whole like interface between the foot and the ground and how it connects to movement, which is ultimately what led to my education company, which is a barefoot education company um, and applies barefoot science and foot function to total body movement and what I call foot to core integration. And then that ultimately is what led to Naboso, which is, you could call it almost like a barefoot technology company. So everything is very, this neurological barefoot science, which that spark was my master's in human movement at the same time that this barefoot running boom in the minimal shoe industry just exploded. Yeah. The stars aligned, (laughs) right? (laughs) I want to touch on all the things that you've accomplished and that all your businesses as well. Even I would love to just talk about the entrepreneur side and like how you, because that just starting one additional business is challenging. So maybe it gets easier the more you add, but um, just a little background, like can, what is sensory science and like, what does that entail? Yes. So I formed what's now called EBFA Global. So it's an education company that creates certifications. So accredited certifications for physical therapists, chiropractors. Um, A lot of podiatrists have actually taken it as well. Um, Podiatrists in the US, but as I said, I travel to Australia, South Africa, the UK, and those are very strong podiatry from more of a physical medicine approach. Podiatry is 
just different in those countries because they're not doing surgery like in the US. Um, so I've trained many podiatrists in those countries how to use this, this sensory side of the foot, um, which adds a layer of power or insight to the professional that is beyond just biomechanics. And where I started to see really powerful effects with that is um, started working with a lot of professional athletes that would have a foot type that mechanically you would say, how are they not injured, right? Like how can they have that degree of overpronation or navicular drop or X, Y, Z and not have these injuries, but then they were doing barefoot training, intrinsic muscle strengthening, um, a lot of these fascial techniques. I'm, I'm big in fascial fitness or fascial training as well. And I saw that it was actually this sensory side of the body and movement and foot function that actually um, uh, controls a lot of performance and injury risk. I've kind of looked into a little bit of like the different fascial components too and like being able to pinpoint those areas to either like decompress or like right like uh, that's what I've been looking more into like or like if there's a, a dysfunction of them yeah. um but did that then when did you write barefoot strong I wrote barefoot strong in 2015 about 2015. And the reason I started this education company with the certification 2012. So that's when I graduated residency. So finished residency, got licensed, you know, summer 2012, right? Whatever. Then, and then about three years later, I wrote the book as a way to just have copyright protection, honestly, is so that as I'm speaking about it and people get excited that I have, okay, this is technically, these are my copyrighted concepts that I, I it is, you know, appropriately referenced to my research and ideation to connect these things from a movement perspective. Um, so writing it, it is, it was just a book that I had to just vomit the content out on it to where I was like, I'm not a writer. It just, I needed something. Little did I know that writing that book would actually open so many opportunities because there's something about having something published like that, even if it's self-published, because there's then this position of thought leadership, which is really important to our growth strategy at Naboso and me professionally is I have to always position myself as a thought leader. What does that mean to be a thought leader, right? You have to be questioning things. You have to be publishing. You have to create and write and consult and, and lead and question these things. And um, it's a, a lot of work to do that, but th that's what's required to be a thought leader. Um, and that book really validated that that works and that people see that association when there is a publication behind your name even if it's self-published lots of work but you got i mean that's how you probably had such a successful practice and business around it as well like the hard work that you put in one of the the things that i think i learned in the last 10 years since graduating of how i've shaped my career is the power of content so as what I love to do is I love to create content. Um, EBFA as my education company is part of content creation because I'm writing certifications, I'm doing webinars, I write blogs. 
But then through all of my other companies and actually consulting, which is a big part of how I make money, is I do consulting for a lot of other companies and they, they hire me to be the content creator for their company because of the ability to to articulate things to the consumer, to the patient, right? So it has to be articulated in a very specific way. And that is how I get a majority of my patients is off of YouTube videos I create. And they have no problem that I don't take insurance because they know that they're going to get this unique perspective that they've already been able to kind of pull the curtains a little bit to see how I approach patients and be like, okay, I like that. I trust that. That kind of sits with me. That's different. It's fresh. Okay. Let me, let me pay to see this person. That's a value association. And you, like, I, I know I follow you on social media and watch video for a while before I even reached out to you. I was like, (laughs) like, you do, you provide information. You kind of behind the, the, what is it? The curtain aspect of it. I also want to go back that you said you weren't a writer, but then you said like, okay, well now I have blogs. I'm doing content. I wrote a book. You I mean, I, I'm not a good writer. I'm not going to. What I'm saying, like a lot of times people are so stuck in like the fear because they don't know how to do it. But what I've realized starting my own this, like I didn't know what, a, nobody knows what they're doing until you're, you're in it and you're doing it and don't let it stop you from like a great idea or a great business venture that is going to help you accomplish like what you want your life goals and dreams so I just uh, I love hearing stories that, that where you're like you know I didn't know I'm not a great writer but I did it anyways and I got busier I was able to build my practice like that's awesome yeah no I I agree and for all the listeners who probably have many ideas or want have Uh, a book that they wanted to write or blogs or videos exactly like what you're saying is um, one just do it start the process of moving forward seek mentors or advisement in any way and then the biggest of advice is if you are going to do something is to be consistent at it so if you're going to write a blog you're writing a blog, right? You have to have a blog article that's every week so that people know that it's a thing that they can go back to versus, you know, if you have like two videos on your YouTube channel that you're trying to build for your practice, that's actually worse than not having one because they need to see the consistency and that it's legitimized by, okay, you have this library that's refreshed every week or, or something like that. Um, and that, that's just a business tip that I give is you're like all in, you can't be half in because half in, you might as well not be in at all. I needed to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) You had the EBFA, you had barefoot strong and then, uh, Naboso came around or that was the next venture. Uh, Naboso is my newest venture. Um, I know that, um, there's a couple workouts. So yeah. you have like a V core on there and um, really my first, first business before EBFA was a company called Catwalk Confidence. Do not Google this stuff because it is 12 years ago. I look ridiculous. Like it is so low budget, but I don't know. Um, and it was a 
program that I created for women who wear heels. And because I was in fitness, so it was a, a workout, like a vertical Pilates, right? Like we're going to do balance. We're going to strengthen our feet. We're going to strengthen our posture. And then the end of the workout, you slide on your heels. This is again, 12 years ago is very different. Those were like the sex in the city days. It was not now everyone's yeah. at leisure. So things were very different in New York city. And we would put on our heels, put on some awesome music and then catwalk across the group exercise studio. It was so cheeky and catchy and polarizing from a media perspective. So gyms across the Northeast picked it up. I was on dozens of media channels because they wanted to feature this. Oh my God, a podiatrist endorses heels. And I was like, that's not what I'm doing. But it got this huge polarity from so many media outlets. Um, I was on Oprah teaching her how to walk in heels because of this workout. And that was really like, so all the attention was on this podiatrist again, who endorses heels, um, which was not the point. It was a vertical Pilates that was barefoot. But anyway, that's what started really this entrepreneurial part of my career was that workout that I did not know would kind of snowball into what it did. And then I wrote another book that was called Every Day is Your Runway. That was actually my first book. That was more of a shoe focused one. I don't think it's available anymore either <laughs> just because I've rebranded everything. But it, uh, it, it was a fun first. Uh, that sounds <laughs> so fun. And like, what a catapult. <laughs> I, I'm Googling it, by the way. <laughs> You, if, if you want to see the, the, it's called Oprah Stiletto School. And I, I teach Oprah, but it's so funny because they're like, oh, and then Dr. Spiegel is going to teach us how to walk in heels. And I was like, okay, everybody. And Oprah goes, what? She's <laughs> like, okay, me, uh, like, who is on my stage? And like, she stares at me. So like, you can't command the crowds. I only command the crowds. Like, Ooh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, so for, I, for those who are interested in a similar path as yours or like the functional podiatry, what are some good starting points um, that they could start looking into it or diving more into different programs as well? Yeah, so the functional approach is going to require studying under people who are not podiatrists. So I had to learn from some very good friends who are chiropractors. Um, I've done a lot of work within the fascial space. So there's some really big fascial researchers that are in the industry. Um, probably the easiest book to start with is called Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers. And it is the I tell professionals that it's almost like the alphabet. It gives you the language of the fascial lines so that when you read or reference the deep front line, the functional line, the superficial back line, this is like a language that you're learning, but is it, it doesn't teach you anything about how to apply the concepts of fascial integration. Um, there's another really good researcher. His name is Robert Schleip. He's German. He actually runs the World Fascial Congress where they do a Congress uh, conference once a year in a different country around the world. And they have top leaders within fascia. Fascial research is a exploding space within the physical medicine industry. Um, and then I've done a lot of work with the pelvic floor 
and the understanding the lumbopelvic hip complex. Diane Lee is a great, um, she's a leader within that space of pelvic floor pelvic. Uh, and then I've done quite a bit with breathing, breath work, and how the diaphragm works and integrates how you need to assess and why improper diaphragm or breathing techniques can affect total body stability. Um, so I've done some work there. And then um, some of the other ones could be, you know, I'm very much based on psychosomatic as well. So that's understanding interoception. Um, I mean, I could give you tons around that where there's wake in the tiger when the body says no. Uh, biology of belief, They're, they fall into this biopsychosocial component. Um, that I've actually done a couple of lectures at podiatry conferences on biopsychosocial and psychosomatic presentations within a podiatry practice. And I believe just because I see a lot of nerve related issues, just like you would under this peripheral nerve special, that a lot of that can present psychosomatically. And then how do you have that conversation with the patient being very respectful that our perspective of reality of stress or no stress, am I safe, am I not safe, which is based off of childhood trauma or just life shit that happens to you, that I'm very patient and um, pass no judgment. Sometimes I'll just sit there and listen to them while they're crying and just like listen and hear and just be like, I'm just here to listen, right? They're very difficult patients because they have a lot of heaviness to them. Um, so that that biopsychosocial component, especially with like idiopathic neuropathies, can be very draining, as I'm sure you've seen with some of your patients as well. well but I was late today. Yeah, I try. I try to not absorb their energy, hear them, but still be the person who's guiding the ship. And then for those that are ready to address some of these different layers of the autonomic nervous system, that I can help them. Um, but that's just one example of where functional podiatry can go. It could also just be fascially based and you understand fascial lines. It could be pelvic floor based. It could be diaphragm and breathing based. Um, so it's very um, kind of looking at the chiropractic physical therapy space and a lot of the way that those professionals have moved is where podiatry, a functional podiatrist could move parallel, but have the unique perspective of very detailed foot pathology and mechanics that a chiropractor and physical therapist don't have. So you're, you're all in parallel, but you have this unique specialty that can enhance what they're doing already. And you fit that, that um, continuity of care with those professionals. That is so, so, so interesting, especially, of course, when I dive into the nerve. So do you work with um, a lot of chiropractors or physical therapists or, as well? Yeah, uh, so uh, most of the like, conferences that I speak at yeah. on the medical side are chiropractic. Um, I was just at Palmer Chiropractic College for the 125th anniversary, and I was the only non-chiropractic presenting at that conference. Um, I was just invited to another one next March. Um, so I, I try to align with professionals that are either already looking integratively or are more open to it. Um, so I'm kind of already speaking the language that those professionals do. So I do get a lot of referrals from them. When I was in New York, I did a lot of 
same thing, free lectures, lecturing, networking, just sharing what I know, the unique approach that I would actually get quite a few referrals from orthopedists. And that was that was a very a huge compliment to me to say, okay, an orthopedist is going to refer to a podiatrist. Oh, I don't see that for someone with knee pain, right? So it's not even foot pain, right? It's knee pain, it's low back pain, it's something non-foot related. And they're like, I have no idea, go see Dr. Splickle because I think it might be something with the timing of how your foot is striking the ground. It is something that is beyond my understanding of movement that is contributing to your knee, hip, back stress. And then I would do a movement assessment on them. Because I'm curious, I have a very specific question too, like with the, the movement, the fascial um, elements of like the, even the lower limb, do you, do you commonly see people maybe with like tarsal tunnel symptoms, but it's more like you you're able to work on their mechanoreceptors and like uh, the foot position and fascial components that are helping address even something like podiatry, specific podiatry related? Yeah, I'm going to give a, a example that I actually see more, which we'll just say just plantar fasciitis. The, the plantar fasciitis or let's say even a stress fracture. So those would be falling under typically like an impact related injury or overuse, right? I don't know, call it one or the other. What I look at from this sensory movement perspective is that there is something about the timing of stabilization of their foot to stiffen or create fascial tension. So you, you stiffen your foot and ankle structure before your foot even strikes the ground. It's, it's called the muscle tuning theory and it's this anticipatory response within the neuromuscular system to movement so that you can be moving efficiently and transfer energy from potential to elastic or to reduce your risk of injury. So it's this anticipatory stiffening response is a huge part of human movement. That's not taught in podiatry school. So I will then look at a patient and say, okay, are you getting stress fractures because your intrinsics of your feet are so delayed or disconnected and they're not part of the party because one, you've never trained them, two, you are chronically in cushioned shoes. So you have no perception from a sensory side of the foot and foot contact that if you can't feel the ground, how are you going to anticipate the ground and the degree of impact coming in? So it becomes this timing thing. So most of what I see in patients, athletes, whoever I'm working with is a shift in timing. They're, they're not anticipating the stress or the load before it enters the body. And if we react to impact, it's too slow. The neuromuscular system cannot respond that quickly. We have to anticipate movements before we actually execute them. And this is demonstrated in an example of EMG center sensors on the TVA or the multifidi. And before you move your arm, you'll actually get an activation of these deep pelvic stabilizers, right? Before I even move the arm, it's like, I think about it, they activate, I move my arm. Right. So it's that aspect of efficiency is built in our nervous system and it has to be. Otherwise, how would we move as quickly as we do? Right. How do these professional athletes move as quickly as they do? You, you can't be reacting to movement based off of the high level of timing that is required. Right. Um, so that's typically what I look at 
from an injury like that. So, so let's even say, so do they, when a patient comes in, are they ever like, okay, I, I, I get it. I understand. I know the pro like you've gone through the process, like how it's probably, what's the timeline besides it being, sounds like, like, uh, uh it's a lifestyle change as well, but like how, is there like a timeline that you give them as well? Like, let's just even say for plantar fasciitis. Yeah, so with the plantar fasciitis, I would, I typically create three month protocols for patients. And I have, I offer as part of my services is a three month functional foot program. So I would just take them through these progressive stages to get more stability, endurance, and then this anticipatory kind of ballistic nature to their system. Um, and I progress them over three months. Um, so that's probably where I would take someone with a stress fracture. I'd be kind of doing things in parallel while they're healing. I would start to increase the sensory side. That's part of where I use Naboso is I would say, okay, if you are a runner and you're wearing New Balance, I need you to at least have a Naboso textured insole in so you could feel your feet faster and this is all happening subconsciously, but feel your feet faster, then you will then create this triggered response just a millisecond faster, right? And then I teach actual foot strengthening techniques. When I teach those techniques, it's very much coordinated with the pelvic floor and the diaphragm, which is why I studied those when, when I was going through my master's in human movement and teach that it is a co-contraction effect in the body. It's not just your feet, like it's not like doing bicep curls and then you're going to be able to do, you know, a hundred pull-ups like that. It's an integrated system, right? So I need your feet and your pelvic floor to be contracting at the same time. And I use the diaphragm to drive that by using exhalations at very specific points. And then that creates this response. And then I just further load the system. Um, so yeah, so I would take someone usually through like, eight to 12 weeks. Wow. No, the, I'm like so fascinated right now. Cause I, I've thought of literally the patient I just saw and several others where I'm like, am I just missing some, like kind of these enigma kind of patients as well. Like I might just missing something and kind of tunnel visioned instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes having that, that other perspective, Right. And this, this is my specialty. There's many other things that I'd be like, okay, I'm going to send, yeah. this, send this out. Right. But it, it's kind of an abstract way of thinking of it, which is why maybe some of the listeners are like, I have no idea where she's going. Right. Or how would I ever assess that on a patient? And the thing that I've learned and which I encourage the, the listeners also to think about is traditional medical training, residency, uh, hospital-based practices, and you might concur with this, is very uh, test-based. You need the EMG, you need the NCV, you need the MRI, you need the, and there's a lot of stuff in the human body that doesn't show up on these tests because they're not sensitive enough, right? It's like kind of after a point, I'm sure a lot of the EMG NCVs are like, so distally in the foot, like those nerves are so small. It is not getting picked up by an EMG or NCV. Yeah. So some of it has to be from clinical experience through patterns that are known within the body. Fascial tissue is very micro nerve related. 
Um, but there's over 100 million sensory nerves in your fascial tissue. So that stimulation is huge and should not be um, not appreciated or factored in, right? Just like the bottom of the foot, the mechanoceptors in the bottom of the foot play a really important role to how we perceive the ground and how we load and contract our muscles and no one's thinking about them. No, now I, I know what I'm doing and I'm diving deep on, <laughs> on the fat, on fascia. I have an interest that sparked. All right. Um, well, I'm glad we got to talk about functional podiatry, medicine, barefoot strong, your EBFAA, the training, functional foot program, uh, Naboso. I guess for anybody, um, like even we've already kind of talked this, so I'm trying to ask, like, is there something that you wish podiatrists would be more open to, or like what you'd like to see a little different in our trainer, or just a little tidbit that you're like, you know, maybe give the, maybe give this a, 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 a try. <laughs> well, I have several. I have several. Yeah. Um, the one, I think that there is, from my my entrepreneur business hat, would say that there are endless opportunities to build a very strong cash based practice or just uh, revenue based successful. Even if it's through insurance, right? There's other ways, um, supplemental income you can make and things like that, that isn't around having to use orthotics as the thing. And I'm, I'm not 100% anti-orthotic. I do prescribe them. I actually prescribe them more than people would probably think I prescribe them. But I also spend a lot of time getting patients out of them because they were incorrectly prescribed to them. And I just remember going through school and residency and at conferences and Practice management mean that this is your cash flow driver, right? Every single person should get orthotics because this is your return on them. And if you see this many new patients per week or per, per month, you get this many, oh, that's how much extra revenue. So it's just kind of pounded in. I don't know if it still is, but when I was going through that part of training, it was pounded in that to make money, you've got to move those orthotics. And the appropriateness of that might not be. And you still have to think at the end of the day that that's a human being, right? It's not just a dollar sign. <laughs> so maybe I'm, I'm at this like other phase in my career that I see the, the spiritual side of everything. I don't know. I'm in Arizona. It's probably weird energy here, but um, yeah. So I just, I wish that aspect. So could it be something like we discussed? Could you to offset and maintain a strong revenue in your practice or you professionally, could you do consulting for other brands that brings in revenue? Could you do speaking for certain companies like pharmaceutical companies, right? Or med devices? Could you um, write a book, create a product? Like there's other ways that you can do it where it's not just I have to push the only money driver that I was really focused on in my training, which is orthotics, orthotics, orthotics. Um, so that's kind of the business one. Um, and then what I would say from an education then would be to just keep an open mind and, you know, this open openness perspective to what else you can do to the human. Because again, 
it's a human at the end of the day. And that foot is connected to a body and that body has emotions and, and things like that. So I try to always validate and hear and listen what my patient is expressing. Um, I had a patient earlier today that I was seeing virtually and she has just overpronation, right? And, but she like started getting really emotional about it and was like actually cried and was like, I wanna just be able to like move and do the stuff that I want to, she's 65. And there's probably something deeper to that, right? Maybe her sister passed away recently or something that, so I was like, I'm not gonna pass any judgment if she's having an actual emotional response talking about her pronation and how she's, she wants to address it functionally. I'm here to help her, right? So I have a very like selfless approach in my practice. And then that just brings, uh, energetically, it brings a lot of patients. I totally feel like I'm like a hippie right now. No, I'm telling <laughs> you all these things. Like, even in my, even in my OR, I only like, I am a firm believer in like what they enter in with the music or. If oh, yes. Or, oh my God. I'm so glad you do that. Oh I'm a firm believer in that. Also, I've been trying to like, just be kind like it's crazy to me that we talk about all the possible complications right before they go into surgery like we're like and just a reminder here's the risks of the surgery and I'm like what a, a huge spike in cortisol right before <laughs> go to surgery like that has to have an effect yeah so, nope I'm I'm um I I feel that way I, I I really do so I do think everything's connected and just because we don't understand it fully yet that doesn't mean that it's not a, a component. So no, well, this has been so great to have you on. I'm going to finish. I'm going to, we're going to do the final thoughts because I know I could keep talking to you for hours and <laughs> love to have you on because you've had, you've opened a lot of other doors. There we go. I love me. it. So, <laughs> um, what is something outside of the medical, me, like medicine right now that you're currently learning? Um, outside of medicine. So I am a podcast junkie. It'd be good to know that. Are you glad to hear this because your podcast, um, but I love podcasts. So I am a, a big kind of, uh, curious side of, uh, American history. I didn't think I'd be into this and like political history and, uh, different, um, it's called American Scandal is one of the podcasts I listen to. It, isn't it like have a red background and like yeah. color? Yeah, I have it saved. <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened to one in a while, but that's great. Um, and then what's a tip that you wish you could tell your younger self about pursuing a career in podiatric medicine? Um, don't listen to the haters. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. There have been a many a haters in my career, so it's okay. Probably that's probably why you're so strong. This <laughs> is like yeah. titanium now, right? My skin is titanium. Um, but yes, there there have been many many haters, and I've been pulled from speaking last minute because people thought that I was an embarrassment to the profession, and I've been sent emails. You are single-handedly ruining our profession. And I was like, okay, I'm not, but okay. And then, you know, I know that I can go to sleep at night. Good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that it ha has happened. <laughs> uh, but yes, don't let the haters stop you from your thing. Yes. 
well, if anybody has questions or wants to reach out to you, where could they find you at? So on social, my handle is the functional foot doc. Uh, my podiatry website, if you're curious just how I structure things, you can absolutely check that out. It is my name. So dremilyspickle.com. And then if anyone is curious about the Naboso, that website is naboso.com. And then my book Barefoot Strong is on Amazon. Perfect. I'll, I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. And um, with Naboso, like people are having those in like um, in their office as well and providing them, right? Like there's, you're able to. Yeah, we actually have quite a few resellers that are podiatrists that they are now, you know, becoming more and more open to it. We, in addition to our texture products, we sell um, toe spacers. So they'll use the toe spacers. I improved a little bit, the ones that were on the market. Uh, and then we have some release tools and some textured socks. So they're not just, if you don't believe in our textured insoles, totally fine. I don't, no judge. Um, but we have other products that a lot of podiatrists are integrating and reselling. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. I've really had a wonderful time speaking with you and um, learning your background and your interests and passions. And hopefully uh, you can come back on the show and talk more. Awesome. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Email me at droxman at gmail.com. The address is in the show notes below. And let me know if there's a topic or if you know a kick-ass lady who should be interviewed. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to hearing your comments and suggestions on the podcast. And remember, stay uncomfortable. That's where we grow.